Now, the title of the sermon tonight is fairly straightforward, but it's a very sobering chapter that we're going to hear. The title of the sermon is The Whole Earth Judged. We've been getting oracle after oracle after oracle among all these different nations, but now chapter 24 is no longer just to any particular one nation like the Moabites. This is the whole earth will be judged. And of course, this will be fulfilled at the second return of Jesus. And so we're going to hear Isaiah chapter 24. And I don't know about you, but as I've just been reading this, it fills me with a sense of the fear of God. Let's hear Isaiah 24. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants, and it shall be with the people, so with the priest. As with the slave, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers, the highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant, therefore a curse devours the earth. And its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched and few men are left. Verse 7. The wine mourns. The vine languishes. All the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations as when an olive tree is beaten at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. They lift up their voices, they sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord, they shout from the west. Therefore in the east give glory to the Lord, in the coastlands of the sea give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. But I say, I waste away, I waste away, Woe is me, 
For the traitors have betrayed with betrayal, the traitors have betrayed. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitants of the earth. He who flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit. He who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it, and it falls and will not rise again. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed, and for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. The title of the sermon tonight is that the whole earth judged. The whole earth judged. And I must have been preparing these notes during the Olympics because my opening line is this, that one day all the lights in Tokyo and London will go out. Oh, and they look so glittering, don't they? You see the BBC studios and the Olympics and they have this wonderful panorama. I think it's Mount Fuji and all the skyline of Tokyo. And <coughs> You're in the latest football games. Was it Euros? I think it was. <coughs> Somebody had a panorama right in the central London and you could see the city of London and all the, the walkie-talkie building and then there was a shard and the scenery looks very impressive. But the day will come when Jesus Christ returns, that all the lights in this world will go out. And the prophecy of Isaiah 24 should fill us with a sense of thankfulness for Christ, thankfulness for the gospel, thankfulness because God could have left you and me God could have left you and me in darkness. God could have left you and me to face a fiery judgment and then to be horrified that we would have rejected Jesus and lived for everything in this world to only find that it was worthless. So thank God for the gospel of God. That we didn't find Jesus. He found us. And why? We will never be able to answer that question except the mercy of God. But the gospel goes out again tonight to every one of us. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's especially Slippery for those who are brought up sometimes in Christian homes. Because you can become a little bit of a 
little bit of a teenage Pharisee. You know, the Pharisee in the Bible. He prayed and said, Father, I thank you I'm not like other men. And he can be brought up in a Christian home and you can begin to think, I thank you that I'm not like those wicked people down our street. But if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll go to the same place as the wicked person down the street. Or even more sobering is the fact that you will end up in the same place as some of the most wicked men and women like Adolf Hitler. And it won't be, well, what are they doing here? The question is, if we die in our sins, there'll be no further way back. There's no repentance in hell. In fact, there's been false doctrines that have been promoted, sadly, by the professing church. The Roman Catholic Church developed a false, terrible, hateful doctrine called purgatory. Have you ever heard the phrase, oh, this so-and-so has lost his way, he's in limbo? Ever heard of that phrase, he's in limbo? That's actually from this false doctrine called purgatory, where you're in limbo, a bit of a holding place before you can finally get to heaven. And it's totally false, thinking that people will have repentance uh, after they've died. The fact is, we have an opportunity to repent in this world. And Jesus says in his second coming, in three parables in Matthew 25, the parable of the virgins, remember that. And it's a picture of the second coming of Jesus. And what we learn in that parable is that the day will come, and in Matthew 25, 10, Jesus says this, when he comes back, he fills me with the fear of God, and the door was shut. And there's only one reason why I'm here preaching tonight. And it's not because Kevin Bidwell chose Jesus. A friend of mine, I've got a friend who's we've been friends together for 40 years. And I, and I praise God for our friendship. I praise God for friendships, not just friendships only with Christians. And it keeps you humble, doesn't it? As he sent me a photograph of uh, the pair of us out partying when I was about 17. I've got a cigarette in hand. I didn't look very trendy by today's standards. And I looked at this photograph, and I thought, I didn't realize I was that bad. And I thought, thank God for salvation. I was a wretch who was lost. And so I hope you, if you're a Christian tonight, you can thank God for salvation. Because we have three headings tonight, simple headings. Number one is judgment. Judgment is coming. That's the first heading. Judgment is coming. The second heading is this. Praise from the elect of God. Because there's good news here in Isaiah chapter 24 as well. Because there are two people. There's the wicked and there is the righteous. And the second heading is praise from the elect of God. And the third heading is the second coming of Jesus. Now, you may have heard that doctrine, but let's hear it afresh tonight and live our lives in the light of this. So the first heading is the, the whole earth judged, or judgment. And look how uh, God, it's God who's preaching, but through Isaiah. Look how God keeps on laying on the language to emphasize. And the first word is behold. That's an important word, behold. Especially in Hebrew, but uh, and it's a favorite 
of Isaiah. Behold, remember John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when you get the word behold in the Bible, you should slow down, pause, and take notes. But here it's behold the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. Now, if you are like me, I enjoyed watching last night this British teenager winning the U.S. Open. And she, there were just thousands of people in the Arthur Ashe Stadium. And it, it, it was announced at the end, I don't know what it was, I didn't go that far to listen to the speeches, but she won several million dollars for doing this. And the whole world are just falling at the feet of this, this British teenager from southeast London. Oh, how can a teenager win this? And the day before, thousands of people are flocking to the Manchester United Stadium because it's someone who's almost like a god in the eyes of football fanatics. Cristiano Ronaldo scores two goals for them. And, and how the world just runs from one event to another, to another, to another, and to another. One minute we've got the Olympics, and they've got another event, another event. But we remember the word of God. Behold the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. And when Jesus Christ comes back, and he will come back, and I literally believe as a preacher that he could come back right now in the middle of this sermon. And were he to come back, because no one knows the day or the hour, There'll be no running after Jesus saying, Ah, Jesus, I forgot to repent uh, this morning. I heard the sermon and I knew I should respond. It'll be too late. You'll find out the door will be shut. So these are sobering words. And we find, Behold, the Lord will make the earth empty or make it desolate. He will twist its surface and its inhabitants. And, and it just goes on in verse 4. The earth mourns and withers the world languishes and withers the highest people of the earth languish it won't matter how high someone is when jesus returns if someone's in their sins it'll be the worst thing that could happen to somebody and therefore don't we repudiate the new atheism and the satanic venom that lies behind it oh the the lie of evolution. Oh, you're not created by God. You don't believe that, do you? You've evolved. You, you evolved over millions of years. Oh, and it's so intellectually plausible. And yet God just says this in Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no and how Satan is busy developing lie after lie after lie so that the masses are deceived. How many times Christians sometimes, they, they whinge on about the BBC. The BBC is not our problem. It's our sin within us that's the problem. It's our turning away from Christ that's the problem. And so the whole earth will be judged. Well, why? We see in verse 24 and verse 5, it says this, The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. If only we could see from God's perspective, rather than our own. For they have transgressed the laws 
violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Descendants of Adam doing the same thing as Adam, turning their back on God, breaking God's covenants. And there'll come a day of reckoning, and it will happen, and when Jesus comes back, the earth will mourn. Well, I just want to say in verse 7 and verse 14, um, it says, verse 7, the wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. Not only will there come a day when the lights will go out, there'll also come a day when the party will stop. And that's the mood of the day, isn't it? You know, when we saw the Olympics, we're, we're always seeing the British medal winners, and yes, they did marvelously in their achievements, but sadly, never heard of any of the British athletes saying, I want to give glory to the triune God, that I got this gold medal by the grace of God. Jesus says, without me you can do nothing, and I want to give glory to God, and that this gold medal does not prove that anybody can accomplish anything they want, which is not true. We've heard that a gold medalist saying, it just tells us you can accomplish anything if you work hard enough. But what's sad is people not giving glory to God because also if you watch the news, they'll also, let's go live now to Leeds and look at Jimmy's family members and you see the, the room's packed, they're all drinking away, they've got bunting everywhere and they're all jumping up and down as Jimmy wins his gold medal. And it's almost as if the world just celebrates drunkenness. The world celebrates drinking. The world celebrates partying. But the day will come, not only when the lights go out, but the party stops. Well, shall we move forward? Look at 24.14. We've got some encouragement here. It says, they lift up their voices, they sing for joy. There's a turning point now in verse 14, which leads us to our second heading, which is praise. Praise to the righteous one. But this is not really the general inhabitants of the world. It's the church. It's the elect of God. It's the people of God. And they've got a different uh, attitude than these party-going people in general in the world. And so there's the elect of God, starting from verse 14. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Therefore in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. And when Jesus comes back, there'll be a company of people who won't be horrified at the return of Jesus, but the church on earth will be bursting forth into song. Come on, Joel, let's sing praise God from whom all blessings flow as we're going up towards meeting Jesus in the air. What a joy it will be to meet Christ. But can we see the geographical extent here? Alan Harmon has written a good commentary on Isaiah and he says this from verse 14, that the future is not gloom. The godly remnant will sing of the Lord's majesty. We won't be singing Ronaldo's name. We won't be singing Radha Khanu's name. 
will be singing the name of Jesus Christ and exalting the majesty of God. They lift up their voices. But do you notice the geographical extent of the gospel? It's not just simply Jerusalem. The unregenerate Jews were angry about everything. And they were angry that the gospel was going to be given to the Gentiles. I think we have a, a room full of Gentiles tonight. We have uncircumcised Gentiles here. Well, praise God that we're not saved by circumcision or not circumcision. We're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our anthem. That's our song. And notice it says here that the coastlands uh, of the sea, verse 16, from the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise. And when Jesus comes back, he'll send his angels to gather in from the east and the west and from the ends of the earth, the elect of God. The geography will be wonderful. As Jesus says, Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end shall come. We had a new members class uh, recently, and, and I looked around the room and I thought, boy, there's four nations in this one room, and two of, two of the nations were from our own family. And I thought, what a testimony to verses like this. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise. And so there'll be a different anthem. And we get this name, we will sing songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. And when we go into the book of Acts, we find that's a title that's ascribed to Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? Acts chapter 3, 14, Peter preaches this. He says, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the author of life. And here we have in shadow a prophecy that will sing praises of and to the righteous one who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Our third and last heading is this, is the second coming of Jesus. Well, look at verse 21 with me, through to the end, just three verses. And it's quite terrifying. The second coming of the Lord, for those who are saved, we'll just be absolutely filled with overflowing joy that our, the love of our hearts, whom we've never seen, will be in our gaze no longer by faith. But for those who die in their sins, the second coming of Jesus will be horrific. It says, on that day, the Lord will punish. Now, as one of you here, a bit cleverer than me, you may say, well, hang on, Kevin. What do you mean, the Lord will punish? I, I thought we went to this YP camp recently and we were hearing that the Lord is a, is a God of love. Surely this God that I heard at the YP camp, he won't be punishing, will he? Well, the answer is yes. He will punish covenant breakers. He will punish lawbreakers. He will punish sinners. He'll punish rebels. He'll punish those who hate him. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven 
and the kings of the earth on the earth. And look at verse 22. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. There's just no escaping. And what's sobering is that's what you deserved. For Jesus to come back and for you to be like a prisoner in a pit. And then they will be shut up in a prison. And after many days, they will be punished. And you deserved the punishment of God. And if you turn to Christ today, and you're delivered from the punishment that you deserve, it's only because of the grace of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross in the most ugly way. He hung there lonely and thirsty, and the curse of God was laid upon Jesus. Not a word of complaint from Christ. He laid down his life as an obedient servant, knowing that his atoning sacrifice would purchase people like you and me. What a wonderful Savior. I can't wait in the next few weeks. We're going to be singing all four verses of his Welsh hymn. Here is love. Vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. What a wonderful gospel we have. That's why we pray for this chapel to be packed. Not because we want to write a newsletter and say, look at us, perish the thought. We're just desperate for others to be delivered from what Isaiah 24 teaches us. It says, then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. And we get that same language in Matthew 24. Remember that? The sun will be ashamed for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And his glory will be before his elders. Well, that's Isaiah chapter 24. There's no wonder we need preaching from the whole council of God, is there? But if you'll give me just a few minutes left as we close, um, what I'm going to tell you next is one of the highlights of what I've prepared in my sermon notes tonight. And it's to lead us to World War II. And at the end of World War II, there was a United States Army chaplain. And his name was called Henry Gereka, or Gereke. I think the Americans, actually in German it's not that, but... He's of German descent, and, you know, they kind of Americanized his name. Why, Henry Gericke, but that's not quite the way the German translation is. But he was of German descent, Lutheran, conservative background. He was a pastor. He was called to ministry as a young man, and he served as a pastor. He then served and preached in, in missions in St. Louis, in Missouri. And, um, and then he had a, a, a chaplaincy career, and he volunteered... Uh, early on in World War II, and, um, and at the end of the war, he was just, uh, uh, I think, just over 50. He'd been serving as a chaplain, and he was very experienced, and he received a call, uh, which he could have refused, uh, and there was something called the Nuremberg Trials, and some of the most notorious and the worst Nazi leaders, the ones closest to Adolf Hitler, had been captured 
and we're going to face the rule of law. And part of the rule of law to be applied was that uh, they were to be given a German-speaking chaplain. And the man who was given this very wonderful opportunity, actually, was Henry Gerecki. And so he went off to Nuremberg, Germany. He was already in Europe. He'd not seen his wife for a long period of time. He went for about a year and a half, I think. And, uh, and there were these men who were going under trial. Names such as Hermann Goering. Do you remember, know him? Albert Speer. Wilhelm, Wilhelm Keitel. These were men who sat at Hitler's right hand. Wilhelm Keitel was really uh, going to be Adolf Hitler's successor. And for those young people who are here, uh, the Nazi regime had killed millions of people in concentration camps, and not only Jews either. It was an, an ethnic cleansing on a way that certainly Europe had never seen before in such a tragic way. And Gerecki, who is of German heritage, as I've said, he had very strong theology. And the question is, would there be any hope for these prisoners who had committed such atrocities? Now, Gerecki was given this mission to be the chaplain, and at first he had to go and meet each one of them. And he, and he said he was quite nervous, as you can imagine, meeting these very powerful leaders. And his undergirding message was Isaiah 24. Not, not actually the chapter Isaiah, but the message is this, that there's only one day of judgment that every man and woman should fear, and it's not the Nuremberg trials primarily, it's the judgment by God for which everyone will face. He had deep foundations, and he knew that that day awaited all humanity, as Luther once said. God our Father has made all things depend on faith, so that whoever has faith will have everything, and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. And that was his message. And so he would question these men and ask them if they would believe or not. And it was no easy believism. He wasn't a man who was given to accepting a quick form of repentance by men. He'd served and preached in prisons for many years, and he wasn't, he wasn't uh, excited about some hollow profession of faith. Some of these men, uh, like Goering, remained defiant in their sin to their death. But others, like Wilhelm Keitel, who was in line to be Hitler's successor, he turned to Christ in tears, humility, repentance, and deep conviction. And this man, Wilhelm Keitel, when I, when I first read this to my own shame, I thought, I'm not sure I want this man to be saved. That was the inner Pharisee in me. But this man, Wilhelm Keitel, and it, these are, these are, there is a part of the United States war records. This is, no, this is not just some Christian happy story. This is, these are authenticated records. Wilhelm Keitel, on his knees, under deep emotional stress, he professed faith and was allowed to come to the Lord's table after much examination. And he received the body and blood of our Savior with tears and said to the chaplain, Henry Gerecki, he said, you have helped me more than you know. May Christ, my Savior, stand by me all the way. I shall need him so much. 
And I'm here to preach tonight that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. And there's nobody who is beyond the gospel. And Wilhelm Keitel is some such man. And as I've read the records, I think we can look forward to seeing him in heaven. The human court condemned many of these men to the death sentence by hanging. But Keitel, he died at the gallows with faith in Christ. And so I think of these words of this doxology as we close this evening. I could tell you, by the way, other stories about other men. Probably at least half a dozen came to a genuine faith in Christ. And I would urge you to read about these accounts. But as we close tonight, what a gospel we have. The words of this doxology by Joseph Hart mean so much. Give glory to God, you children of men, and publish abroad again and again the Son's glorious merit, the Father's free grace, the gift of the Spirit to Adam's lost